0: We're continuing our our series in the book of Philippians, and man, how cool that is. Is it cool? God's Word, and man, we believe it. We believe God's Word. We put our life on it. It's truth. It's it's not a lie. It's not deception. And uh, in our culture today, um, people make a lot of money lying to us and deceiving us. And, and uh, I'm grateful that the one true God that we live for and serve, the one who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, man, he is the truth teller, promise keeper. He is a God who cannot lie. And so we're, we're excited about that. So, uh, sitting by you, also there's the Life Church. Um, well, let's see, what do we call this thing anyway? Updates. The updates. So, uh, on the back side, you've got an outline, and you can fill all that, those blanks in. And you can see we've already started to fill them in for you. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for that? And if you're watching online, you can go to the LifeChurchMH.com, Life Church Facebook page, pull it up, and uh, stay with us, follow along as we go. Bill Frey um, wrote the book, The Dance of Hope, and in his book he remembers when he was 11 years old, when he tried to pull a stump out of the Georgia dirt. Uh, one of his chores was to um, gather firewood for their small stove and their fireplace at their homestead. And he would search the woods for stumps of pine trees and pine trees that had been cut down. And he'd chop those stumps up into kindling. And uh, the cool thing about pine tree stumps is that they're saturated with resin and uh, they, they burn real easy. So that's what he was going after. He said, one day, I I found a large stump in an open field near a house. I tried to dig it out, but, man, I I couldn't do it. I I pushed, I pulled, I had a crowbar, and for hours, man, I was just wailing on that stump, but it wouldn't come out of the ground. That root system was so deep and large, he said, I, I I couldn't make it budge. So I'm struggling, And my dad comes home from work and he sees me out there working hard and comes over and he watches for a while. And he says, "Uh, Bill, I see the problem. And Bill said, well, what's that, Dad? He said, you're not using all your strength. Well, Bill, who had been working for hours on that stump, knew that wasn't true. He had put all of his energy into it. And he said, Dad, do you know how many hours I've been out here giving it everything I have? And he said, his dad said, no, he said, you're, you're just not using all your strength. So after after Bill settled down, he asked his dad, well, dad, what, what do you mean by that? I'm not using all my strength. What, what what am I missing here? And his dad said, you haven't asked me to help you yet. There you go. You know, that's, um, as a follower of Christ, we know uh, in life, it, There's times when it feels like we're pulling stumps out of the ground, you know, facing challenges, crises. Um, those, Those stumps have deep root systems and the cool thing is God did not put us on this planet to try and put all of our energy into it. When we receive Jesus Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit moves in and he empowers us. And so let's go to Philippians 2, and I'm gonna start at verse 13 because this kind of gives us some insight into where we're going this morning. Philippians 2, 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So just like Bill's dad saying, Hey, hey, Bill, I'm here. I could help you. You know, I can get that help you get that stump out of the ground. How exciting it is to know that we don't have to Uh, exert more energy and effort to try and be more like Christ, we simply allow the Holy Spirit to live through us, through his power. And we see victory after victory because of it. Man, that's, that's liberating. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people hold firmly to the word of life and on the day of christ's return i will be proud that i did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless but i will rejoice even if i lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to god just like your faithful service is an offering to god and i want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Thank you, Paul. That's a, good, that's a good word of encouragement for all of us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that um, even though this was written a long time ago, as we live in 2021, we can apply it to our lives. And, uh, sometimes we could say, you know, not a lot has changed. We know it has, but people still reject you. People still put their faith in you. And we see the results of that on our planet. So this morning, Lord, may we um, zero in. May we be intentional about listening to what the Spirit of God has to say to us and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, friends, I know, I, actually I do know that when we live our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to live through us, how, you know, instead of the, the sin-confessed, sin-confessed cycle, we we experience his power, his victory in our lives. When we realize that it's God working in us, you know, we can look back and see the life changes, the life transformations. Uh, that's what keeps the fire going. Keep me burning to the break of day. See, That keeps that fire going, which is what we need. So this morning, uh, as we do a quick review over last week, number one, taste my words. That's what Paul is saying in verse 14 and 15a. Do everything without complaining. Um, arguing uh, so that nobody... Can criticize you. What Paul is saying is people are watching you, they're listening to how you respond, how you act, and if you call yourself a follower of Christ, they critique it. So he's saying that we're due uh, in the Greek, it means it's to be done continually, it's not just when you come to church on Sundays. Uh, it's not when you wake up in the morning and that song comes to your head, mm, keep me burning till the break of day. No, it's to be done continually, every day, every day. Do everything without complaining and arguing. And last week we hit that word complaining where it's you're muttering under your, you know, it's a, it's a, mo- it's a monotone, you know, grumbling. And you're not really letting anybody else know about it. They can see your your face, your facial expressions, and they can hear that you're mumbling something, but they, they don't know what you're saying. Um, it's just having a bad attitude. Rick Warren um, put it this way. He said, there's four types of complainers I run into all the time. And he's referencing the, this verse. He said, first, there's whiners. You can get up in the morning and say, Good morning, Lord, but whiners choose instead to say, Good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> Let's see where each of us can land here. Second, he said, There's martyrs. Their favorite expression is, Nobody appreciates me. They're pros at throwing pity parties. They pout and complain when they don't get their way. Third, there's cynics. Their attitude is, Why bother? It isn't going to make any difference, and they poison everything. Finally, he said there's perfectionists. Nothing is ever good enough for these complainers. Their favorite phrase is, is that the best you can do? So maybe you fall in one of those categories. Hopefully not, because in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, once again, Paul gives us how we should live our lives. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong. To Christ Jesus. So there we have it. Next, Paul says there should be no arguing, and that's when you, you, you go public with your mumbling, with your complaining. You let people know how unhappy you are, and you start uh, throwing poison at the wall, and it sticks. And so um, it's, it's not an edifying situation for anybody. So Paul is saying, do everything without complaining and arguing, and he doesn't give us any loopholes, you know? He doesn't have any PSs at the end of that verse, Uh, you know? If you have to go to the dentist that day, if you have a slow driver in front of you, you know, he puts all these little scenarios where you can bypass everything. No, Paul is saying he's covering every situation. So let's settle into that. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, Lord, help us, not in my own strength, but I need your power to live through me that I will do everything without complaining and arguing. Good? Good. All right, let's go on. Number two, be a positive influence. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Last Sunday, I mentioned that As a follower of Christ, we have a responsibility just to have a pulse of what our world is like. There's some followers of Christ that say, I don't want to know. You know, they put their head in the sand. um, They get burned out on the news. I'm I'm not saying that we have to stay in the news cycle all day long, but I think it's important that we catch what our world is going through. What our world is like. So as a follower of Christ, we have an accurate perspective. Why am I here? God, what do you want me to do to make a difference for you? Instead of, and I think that's what Paul's getting at right here in the verse. He's giving us an accurate picture. He's saying, I want you to shine like bright lights in this perfect world. No, he says, in a world full of crooked and perverse People. I think all of us would say that sounds pretty accurate to me. But he doesn't stop there. He says, sub point one, represent Christ well. Look at verse 15b. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. The great theologian Will Rogers put it this way: he said, Live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. How many of you have parrots at home? <laughs> I, I don't. I had a canary once, um, but he couldn't talk, so I, I was good, man. Uh, Will Rogers Scott has something here, doesn't he, that uh, we, should, we should live in such a way. Why? Because people are watching and listening. That word clean, live clean, it means beyond reproach, without defect, it's um, incurring no justifiable criticism. In other words, you're not living your life in such a way where people go just say, man, you're messed up, you know? Now, we're not talking about perfection here. We're just talking about, you know, we say one thing and then we act a different way. And Paul is saying that shouldn't be. Next, he says we're innocent, innocent lives as children of God. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're part of that children of God group, He's not talking to non-believers here. He's talking to the church. Innocent means not diluted, without mixture of vice or deceit, no metal that had any weakening alloys. I think a good example would be if we go back in history, there's an article that was written years ago entitled Cheap Rivets Blamed for the Massive Loss of Life as the Titanic Sank." Now, what's that about? Researchers believe that the Titanic would have gone, would have sank a lot slower. More passengers would have been rescued if the shipyard that built it, Harlan and Wolfe in Northern Ireland, had not skimped on the quality of the rivets holding the hull sections together. That's what they say. The authors of the book, What Really Sink, the Titanic, claims that the shipyard overreached in attempting to build three major ships at once, the Titanic, the um, Olympic, and the Britannic. And what happened was there was a shortage of good quality iron rivets that were needed to keep those ships together. And so they resorted to buying batches of lower quality iron By the first part of the last century, other shipyards had mostly switched to all steel rivets, although steel was used for the central sections of the hull for the Titanic. The design called for iron rivets for the bow and aft sections, and most of the cracks that opened after the collision with the iceberg were the iron riveted forward part of the hull. Now, this is where they drilled down. It appears that they were unable to get the best quality rivets needed made of the so-called number four bar. Eventually, they settled on some rivets with number three bar, which is considered inferior because of greater levels of impurities, notably of slag. So those rivets couldn't handle the pressure after hitting that iceberg, and they gave way right away. And these researchers are saying, man, if they had have used a higher quality rivet that ship, would have held together for a longer period of time. So what we we can see here is the iceberg showed really what the Titanic was made of. When you and I in our lives hit icebergs on the road of life, those icebergs will expose weaknesses. It will expose compromises in our lives. Whereas if we are following Christ, not in perfection, but we're following after him. Our goal is to model his character. We will hold together through the storms of life by his grace and his strength. So as a believer of Christ, we will do what's right as defined by God. We're going to model that regardless of the personal cost. And when we live diluted, compromised lives, we don't have that inner core strength that we need to live in 2021 and beyond. When pressure comes, people will crumble. Francis Chan recently was interviewed. He wrote the book Crazy Love, other things as well. He's a pastor, author. The article reads, evangelical Christianity is seen as an absolute joke, warns Francis Chan. So once again, friends, we're not putting our heads in the sand. We need to get a pulse even where the church in America is today. There's a lot of movement in the church in America away from Christ, away from the truth, away from the gospel. Listen to what he says. As the church heads into what? He calls a new season. Pastor, author Francis Chan is urging leaders in evangelical Christianity to encounter God. To encounter God. Now, that may sound a little strange, but evidently it's not happening. In a message last week at a summit, Chan addressed the recent wave of high-profile Christians who have deconstructed or left the faith. He also encouraged pastors to focus more on the vertical nature of faith and worship. Chance spoke, saying, I am seeing so many people, friends of mine who were in ministry, who are just saying they don't believe or they're walking away from their faith. I just think that's crazy. We're seeing people that we look up to, leaders fall. We're seeing the world look at evangelical Christianity as an absolute joke right now. Every day you can just jump on Instagram and someone is saying, I'm not a Christian anymore. In America's churches and denominations, says Chan, a lot of Isaiah 29 13 has been evident lately. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Chan explains that true encounters with God have been lacking, going through the motions and merely, merely listening. Don't equate with or lead to life-changing interactions with our Heavenly Father. Chan warns faith leaders, don't get away from your own encounter with God. As the next step, he says, we have to make sure we get our people to have an encounter with God as well. An important lesson from the pandemic that Chan points to is that there's just way too much of this horizontal going on. In order to keep these people with us, he says, we have to direct people to God. That vertical approach to faith will be vital as Christians face future challenges. The world's going to get worse. Persecution's going to get worse. And when believers are alone with God, is there enough of this awe and enjoyment of him and a fear of him that they can survive anything? It's a good question. There's been a lot of movement in Christian circles where people are deconstructing spiritually. They're moving away from the truth. They're moving away from the awesomeness of God, and they're leaving the faith. Jesus himself said that would happen in the last days. We shouldn't be surprised. But friends, I think Paul... What he's doing to the church at Philippi is he's encouraging them to stay strong in their faith. He doesn't want movement away from Christ. He wants movement towards Christ. And we can get so distracted in our world today, so discouraged by the way it seems this world is going, that we keep our eyes off of Christ. That's what I like about what Chan had to say, man, we need to have our own personal encounter. Just coming here on a Sunday morning is not going to cut it, you know? If you bring your Bible in on Sunday morning and that's the only time you carry it, it's not enough. We need time with God consistently. So those rivets hold when crises come. Number two, let your light shine. Verse 15b, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Light, lights. what's that about? Starlight in the Greek. The conditions for us to shine have never been better than they are now. I was thinking about this when I was growing up. I'm still growing up, but when I was a little dude, um, you know, we, at school, people, we would have these, Deep theological discussions. What church do you go to? And what kind of church is that? Isn't that crazy? In school. Those were common conversations. And it seemed overall, you know, that the environment in the public schools was pretty good. Pretty good. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. But I think... When I look back from when I was growing up as a kid to where we're at today, things have got darker. Right? They have. They have. Young people today, there is a war going on for their souls. And as parents, you know, you know that's true. And that's where we have a responsibility as parents, as grandparents, to model what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a very practical way. I'm not talking about rules and regulations. I'm not talking about, you know, you know, I'm the authority here. You know, you take it to the extreme. That's why, that's why, you know, love God, love people, and love life. That's the way I believe Jesus wants us to live. We need to love life, no matter, Paul was loving life even though he was chained to a praetorium guard. He was enjoying life. Why? Because he was telling these guards about Jesus. That's where his joy came from. That's what Paul's writing about in this text. We get our joy from modeling the light of Jesus Christ and telling others about him. That's where you get fired up. So that's where we have it. Darker it gets, the brighter our light becomes. Isn't that cool? Our lights are becoming brighter. What a privilege to be living in this 2021. Our lights, our lights, man, people gonna see the light because it's so dark out there. Proverbs 4, 18, 19, the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. So that word bright lights was also used in the first century for the navigational beacon that would shine uh, in the dark to lead ships safely into the harbor. Christians are those, those bright lights in this dark world. We're put here on purpose by God to shine our light, to guide others who don't know Jesus to the light of Christ and become at home with God, having that personal relationship. So, so that the other Sunday school song, um, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine, really, that's not biblical. It really isn't. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say you are a little light this little light of mine paul right here says you are a bright light you are an incredible light why because our god is light we're bright lights and so jesus said in matthew 5:16 in the same way let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father Sunlight travels 186,000 miles per second. It takes eight minutes from the sunlight to get to, to the earth. And um, if you ever see one of those total solar eclipses, it's something smaller. That's where the moon gets in front of the sun, even though the moon's smaller than the sun, and it prevents the sunlight from hitting the earth. As a follower of Christ, we should never allow an eclipse to happen in our lives where we block The light of Christ for being shined out through our lives. We should always reflect it. So I've got a couple examples here. One, this is a pretty nifty, it's waterproof, it floats on water, but it doesn't work. There's a battery in it, but the battery's dead. It's dead. So even though this is a nifty, if I had to pick one of these three lights up here, I would have picked this guy. It's kind of intimidating. You know? Yellow is an intimidating color. <laughs> it's the biggest light out here. And then we got this guy. Man, this is good for camping, you know. If you wanna light up your tent, boom, just pull the lid and there it goes. Pretty nice, huh? But it doesn't really direct any light. This little flashlight. Oh yeah, man, that's bright. So so here's the deal. We're lights. If I were to take this flashlight outside right now, would you see the light? Would this light make a difference? No, because the sunlight is a lot stronger than this flashlight. This really wouldn't do any good. And so, like on Sundays, when we come in to live church, we bring our light here. And it's cool, man. It's cool when we all gather together with the light of Christ. But if that's the only time we're shining is on Sunday morning, we're not impacting the world around us. The light has to go out where the darkness is to be effective. That's what Paul's talking about here. We are not to have some holy compound somewhere in the middle of a desert and wait for Jesus to come. That is not in the Bible. Paul is saying that when we're the light of Christ... Yes, we come together on Sunday morning, but that's not the only time we should turn the lights on. God has each one of us strategically located in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, at school, on purpose. So wherever we go, we bring the light into the darkness. Think about that. God, you know my name. You know everything about me, and you have planted me in this environment, on purpose, for such a time as this, to let my light shine for the glory of God. What a privilege! What an honor! And so, Tom Rayner um, came up with this article last month, and he said, "Just coming off of COVID, this is what's going on in the in the Christian world." He said. Um, One of the most disturbing trends we're seeing is the decreasing frequency of attendance at church. Two decades ago, a frequent church attender was considered a person in church services or activities once or twice a week. Prior to the pandemic, the twice-a-month church attendee was considered active by most church members and leaders. But one of the trends emerging from the pandemic is the increasing number of once-a-month attendees. We are watching three developments as these trends emerge, our team has been reporting on the attendance frequency decline for several years. It was a pattern of slow and methodical erosion. But the pandemic both accelerated and exasperated the trend. We are lamenting the twice a monthers in 2019. We are challenged by the once a monthers now. I also pray we will not surrender to the Culture and assume we cannot win back faithfulness from Sunday sports leagues, lazy sleep ins, and 15 Sunday vacations a year. A common refrain among the once a monthers is that Sunday is the only day we have for family time. What are they doing on Saturday? And why is church not the best family time possible? God thought the local church was sufficiently important to feature it in most of the New Testament after the Gospels. No, the church is not perfect. Yes, it has hypocrites, every single church member, but it's God's plan A, and he didn't offer plan B. The once-a-month church attendee is not as much a function of culture winning as it is church surrendering. It's time to reclaim the local church and its importance. Anything less is flagrant disobedience to God's plan to make disciples. I go back to my dad, his example. Every Sunday we loaded up in the car. The guys were usually in the car first, the ladies came after. (laughs) My dad's in the car, he's honking the horn. The whole neighborhood knows what's going on. This happens every Sunday. But every Sunday we were in church. When we were on vacation, we went to church. Friends, Jesus calls the church his bride. And what we're doing when we, when we dilute the value of being at church together, we're grieving the heart of God because he died for the church, the bride, the bride of Christ. And I think in our culture today, it's like nothing has value anymore. Even going to church has lost its value. But I have to tell you, man, part of those strong rivets that will sustain us in the days ahead is coming together on Sunday mornings, man. I'm telling you, there is something about coming to church consistently where Man, we, we could just back up from uh, the last month what's been going on here on Sunday morning. Uh, for someone to miss that, it's hard to comprehend. God is doing some cool things, man. Yeah. And every Sunday, it's like a brick going on that foundation, brick upon brick. What you took from last Sunday, man, you're building it into this Sunday it's making you a stronger person plus God's using you while you're here to encourage other people as well that's the body of Christ and so hey let's let's evaluate am i becoming a once a monther and what am i going to do about it you know is it is it the best for me or am i compromising in my walk you know so We need to be in darkness for our light to be of any value, because Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen fifteen, 15, the message puts it this way, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Shine. Just shine. So that's good. That's good. Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. We sang about that this morning. That third song. Hell lost another one. I am free. See? You see it? Jesus gave his life for you and me in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Now, does that make us paranoid? No. No. We, we resolve to live our lives to model the very character of Christ. And what a privilege that is. You know, that Good old chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow, no turning back. See, That's the mindset we need to have today. And number three, stay glued to the word. Verse 16a, hold firmly to the word of life. We need to be grounded in the word, word refusing to be compromised. Uh, Pete Briscoe, pastor down in Texas, and he put it this way. What we believe matters. A flood of negative circumstances rushes through your life. The existence of a good God begins to seem very questionable. Where do you turn? You reach midlife. Nothing you've been working for seems to be worth the sacrifices you make. There are choices ahead. Choices that will determine the course of the rest of your life. Another one, after years of faithful prayer and worship, the God experience is drying up. You're emotionally sapped. What are you going to do? Perhaps you're standing on the edge of a great compromise. There are major moral crossroads in front of you. What are you going to do? In critical times like these, where can we turn to determine right from wrong? Where do you go to test our thoughts and our ideas, determine whether they're Worthy of our belief, he concludes, when all seems unstable, there's only one place to stand. Hebrews 4.12 puts it, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's God's word. It's God's word that will help keep you, man. And so, Kenny Luck, um, head of Every Man Ministries, talks about a guy that attended one of his Bible studies, Darren. Darren owns a business. He wakes up early, goes to bed late in order to keep commitments and maintain relationships with his wife, his kids, and his friends. He said, one Thursday morning at a men's Bible study, Kenny posed the following question to Darren and others in the room hey, what's keeping you out of God's word? And I submit that to you this morning. What's keeping you out of God's word? Or perhaps you can answer the opposite question. What is keeping you in God's word? Darren was the first to jump in. He said, I've struggled for years with reading the Bible. The desire has always been there, but there's just never been any consistency until this past year. And so... Um, Kenny asked them, so can you put a picture on that? What's that look like? Consistency. Tell us how you are able to maintain some consistency So, the, for the rest of us. He said, every morning I get up and I show up to work on time. I am prompt for my appointments throughout the day, and I'm always on time for my son's baseball practice after work. But then I have to be, since I'm the coach, <laughs> on the weekends I'd like to get up at the crack of dawn to be the first off the tee so I can motor around the course. But one appointment I could never keep was the one about reading the Bible on a regular and consistent basis. I made sure I kept appointments with everybody else, but with Jesus, not so. I was never on time. How sad is that? So what did you do about it, Kenny asked him. Darren said, well, I finally got on track with a steady, quiet time with God doing three things, one, having a plan, two, setting a time, three, having a place to do it uninterrupted. Darren continued, not long ago, I moved by my office to a new office building. I made sure that I furnished it with a bookcase, a nice rug, an end table, two chairs, and a babbling brook. I decided to call this my Jesus space with one chair for him and one chair for me. And every day for the last year, with a few exceptions, I have had a standing 730 appointment, with God. And I've kept it. I don't take calls, but I do keep a pad of paper handy so that if something work-related suddenly invades my mind, I can make a quick note and get back to my conversation with God. What worked was I finally began to take time with the Lord personally, a personal meeting with a real person. I decided to treat Jesus like a person by spending regular time with him. It's been the best year of my life bar none. For me, I had to have a time and a place set aside. And so we see what happened in Darren's life. He hit a wall. It was decision time. Are you going to live your whole life, you know, trying to be consistent with reading your Bible? Or are you going to do something about it? Well, Darren chose to do something about it. He was intentional. He made an appointment with God. And, friends, I just want to encourage all of us, man, God's Word, it's a privilege to read it. It's a privilege to have a Bible. It's a privilege to apply it to our lives on a consistent basis because there, once again, life transformation takes place. Paul says this Word of Life, yes, it's synonymous for the gospel. He's saying, get a grip on the message that brings eternal life. We should have that. And Paul is referring here not only to reading it, but sharing our faith with people as well. At some point, we've got to put words into what God has done for us. And so in the Greek, it not only refers to hold firmly, but it also means to hold it out. Hold out God's word for others. Hold firmly to the word of life in verse 16b. In uh, the voice of the martyrs came out uh, just a week ago talking about faithfulness under surveillance in China. The Chinese government uses a network of several hundred million facial recognition cameras to monitor citizens' loyalty to communism. But Christians across China are more concerned with being faithful to Jesus Christ. Our brothers and sisters in China know their every move is being watched. They understand that any Christian activity, including gathering for worship, will be seen as subversive by their government. But despite the threat of a lowered social credit score or even long imprisonment, they remain committed to leading others to Jesus Christ and seeing God's kingdom advance in their highly restricted homeland. Friends, we don't have any excuses in America. If they can do it in China, we can do it here, right? Yeah, we can. And so the church is not merely reflecting in light and darkness. There's work to be done. We need to, that's the cool thing about even today, man, participating in the frolic parade. We're out on the streets, you know, the light of Christ. We're outside the building, man. May people see the light of Jesus as we walk the streets together. May the Holy Spirit be working in that process of putting a hunger in a person's heart to know Jesus, to know that they need a Savior. It's easy to develop a fortress mentality in this culture, for sure. You know, Paul's not talking about that. He is not endorsing a fortress mentality or hold the fort, you know. No, no, no. No, he's saying He's requiring followers of Jesus Christ to get into their culture. And so Sijun, his parents sent him to a Buddhist monastery in India when he was four years old. And for nine years, he studied Buddhist text eight hours a day in the hopes of becoming a monk one day. Then when he was 13 years old, he grew tired of being beaten at the school for failing to memorize sections of the text perfectly. So he left the monastery and returned home to Nepal. When C. John returned home, his parents enrolled him in a school. And while there, he heard about Jesus Christ from one of his friends and started attending that church. He said, I found the people in the church to be so loving, kind, and caring. When I was in the monastery, I never received any love or care from my teachers. I saw how if people love Jesus, then they learn to love and care for others. Well, two years of attending that school and having a friend who was a follower of Christ who told C. John about his faith, C. John placed his faith in Christ. His friend gave him a Bible, and he read it as much as he could, and he learned Bible verses about sin and forgiveness. While he had learned a similar concept of of sin from the Buddhist text, he said the idea of forgiveness was something new to him. Forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins. He said, in the Bible, I found that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So no matter what sin we have, Jesus is ready to forgive. And he said, there is no reincarnation in the Bible. You know, that caught my eye because the millennials today who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, they believe in reincarnation. That's becoming a new draw today in our culture. You, all you have to do is read the Bible, friend, and there's no reincarnation. You know, you're know, you not coming back as a cat, a dog, or a cow. You know, It's appointed for man once to die and then face the judgment. We stand before God. One life, man. It's over. It's either going to be heaven or hell. Jesus gives you the freedom to choose. Well, reading the Bible gave Sijun a new understanding about God's grace, but it also led to persecution because one day while he was reading his Bible at home, his older brother came and beat him with a stick. And that became more common. So eventually Sijun moved out on his own. Today, the Bible that Sijun received helps him endure persecution from his family as he continues to grow in his faith with Jesus. And now he's 18 years old, and he's planning to enroll in Bible school, and he wants to help others know and better understand God's word for themselves, all because somebody gave him a Bible years ago. Christians in Nepal and elsewhere around the world cherish God's word. They rely on it to sustain them when they're suffering persecution. And friends, we here this morning have that same opportunity to have God's word, to read it, to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us, to help us to become more like Jesus. And so, what has the Spirit of God been saying to you today? Has there been... Dilution, your, di- your faith has been diluted. The rivets of your spiritual core have been made from weakened metals. Um, we have an opportunity right here, right now, to say, Lord, make a difference. I want to I go all in with you, Lord. No more compromise. No more playing games with you. I need your help. You've given me your Holy Spirit to live through me. I'm giving you permission today to live through me freely, not holding back anymore, Lord. And so we thank you this morning, Jesus, for the opportunity we've had to gather together, to allow your word to speak to us, to realize that the world that we're living in is getting darker, but... What joy, what hope we have of bringing the light into the darkness. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in doing that very thing. And Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross, and you went to the cross because you wanted the world, each one of us, to have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And the only way that could happen was you paid for our sin debt in full. And we are so grateful for that. We can't earn it. We can't beg for it. We can't buy it. That sin debt has been paid in full. It's a free gift. And so this morning, Lord, we say thank you. We receive your forgiveness. We welcome you into our lives to become our spiritual leader once and for all. We say yes to you, Lord. We put all our trust in you today. Thanking you for the great love that you demonstrated for us and the privilege that we will have to model you to a world that so desperately needs your love and forgiveness and grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.